Welcome to Pioneering Today with me, Melissa K. Norris, where I inspire your faith and your pioneer roots. I show you how to grow your own food, heirloom gardening, how to preserve your food at home, and modern homesteading. Tune in every other Friday as I share proven strategies that anyone can do to live the pioneer lifestyle. Make sure to head over to melissaknorris.com and subscribe to receive free Pioneering Today articles and updates. On today's episode, I wanted to talk about building up a food storage or pantry like they did during the Great Depression. And it's kind of funny how this sparked, actually. Just this past weekend, I was down at my folks' place, actually out in the garden with my dad, and he was helping me shell out some of our October beans. I was getting ready to can some up, and I actually had exhausted all of our plants, and he had planted... He always plants a ton of beans, way more than my parents and my little brother, who is their only child still left at home, can use in a year. And so I always know that if I don't have enough from my own garden or I want to put up some extra that I can go down to my dad's and get some. And so I was down there and we were out in the garden and we were sitting on overturned buckets just in the middle of the row, shelling out beans into the colander. And so it was really great. And So we got to talking and my dad actually was raised during the Great Depression. He was born during the Great Depression, actually. And so part of his childhood, he was raised during the Great Depression. And, you know, we were we were talking about how those years and going through that really formed him and a lot of the things that he still does today. And so my dad, I'm actually a child from his second marriage. And so and we were discussing when he plants the garden, my mom's always telling him he doesn't need to plant as much as he does because he always plants like they did when he was growing up through the Great Depression and like he still has 10 children total. Not all of us obviously are still at home. <laughs> we spanned, there's about a 50, no, there's a 40 year span between his oldest child and his youngest child, actually. So there's a past of us. But anyways, he still plants like the majority of his kids are at home. And so my mom's always telling him, you don't need to put that, you don't need to plant that much. You know, the garden is too big and I can't put all of that up. But he said that he always, he still plants that amount because going through the Great Depression, living through that, being raised through that, that he will always have in the mindset that it could happen again and he always wants to be prepared. And he said, you know, definitely it it shaped him. And so, you know, and he's like, and there's nothing wrong with planting more. You know, if you have extra some years, the garden, you know, it could fail or the plants won't produce as well. You could have, you know, an early frost and you could lose part of it. I mean, there's just so many things that can happen. And he said, and then plus he said, I always have more than enough to share with everybody. And I actually thought that was just a great, a great mindset. And so as we were sitting there and we were shelling out the beans and talking, you know, we we started talking more and more about, you know, what it was like for him growing up during the Great Depression and not having a lot of food on the table. You know, and even after the Great Depression, he has a large family and, you know, they were never by any means rich as far as in the monetary sense of the word. But they even, you know, had hard times and stuff even after the Great Depression was technically over as far as history is concerned um, after that. And he's, you know, so as we were sitting there, he said, you know, there was a lot of times he said when I was growing up that the only food that we had to eat were these beans, you know, that we never went hungry 
but you know, we only, the things that we had to eat was what we had put up for the year. You know, we didn't have, um, the money to go and buy the things at the store or sometimes even the ability to get over there. Um, he actually grew up, we, we call it the homestead. (laughs) Um, but my dad has a piece of property where he actually grew up and it's over on the river, but you have to cross a creek to actually get to the cabin. And the cabin is still there. It's really awesome. There's no it's wired for electricity, but there's no electricity ran there. And so you can put it on a generator, but there's an outhouse. There's no indoor bathroom. And then there's a, a pump for water. And so there's no running water. Um, you have to use a hand old fashioned pump. And so he's like, you know, during the, when the water was really high, um, a lot of times then they couldn't get across the creek to even go the miles to get to the river, to take the ferry, (laughs) to cross the river, to get into town before the bridge was put in to get to the store. So, you know, they really had to rely upon themselves and what they could put up. And so it really got me thinking about, you know, a great depression pantry and building up your, your pantry using the things and how they did. And so, the number one thing that, you know, that he said that they had was beans. That was something that they could grow. You know, beans is a pretty prolific crop. Um, you don't have to have a huge amount of space. You can usually put, you know, you could put in like, we usually do of our Tar Heel green beans, which is the beans that, one of the beans that my dad is referencing that they always had and used. And that was, you can catch in some of my past podcast episodes if you're just turning in. And that was on seed saving and heirloom seeds. And so this is a seed that they brought with them from North Carolina that's been saved up in the the mountains and passed down from generation to generation in our family for many years. And so they always grew the Tar Heel green bean seed. And so I usually do about two 12-foot rows. And on a normal production year, two 12-foot rows of the pole beans, of the Tar Heel green beans, usually gives me about 80 pints of green beans and then enough to seed save for the following year. So usually about a pint-sized jar of the actual bean inside the pot. It's a little white bean and when it's dried, it's small and quite small. And so a pint, I usually save about a pint-sized worth of seed to give away. I do a giveaway on at melissaknorris.com in the spring of that seed. And then also for our own planting use. And then usually then I'll also get about probably about four to eight quarts of canned white beans. I let them over mature. And instead of using them as a green bean, I let them mature and then I shell them out and then they're called a shelly bean. And then I can those. And so that is one of the major things that my dad had growing up and that I would say a bean is a great thing in stocking if you're doing a Great Depression type pantry. And the reason that I love beans is because obviously that just the regular, the green beans, they serve as your vegetable and they're really, my kids, it's so funny. The green beans is one of the only, not only vegetable, but is one of their favorite vegetables. Um, they love the homegrown green beans. And so that's a vegetable I can put on the table that I know they will absolutely eat. And then the Tar Heel green bean is kind of a, I would say it's like a meteor green bean, which seems really weird to say in reference to a green bean, but it, it is. It's, it almost has a buttery flavor without putting any butter in it. A lot of the times when I just use our, our green beans, I just cook them with a little bit of salt and the beans themselves, and they have a really good flavor. You can cook them with a ham hock or a little bit of fat back or bacon, and that's excellent as well. Of course, I mean, honestly, what is not good when you add bacon to it, right? (laughs) I think bacon makes everything better. But anyhow, and so that's one thing that my dad said, you know, pretty much every night they would have 
green beans. And it was just something that, that they had that they had put up that they could grow easily, was very prolific, you know, didn't have picky growing t- things and they could get a lot out of it for the space. And pretty much from once the bean comes up, as long as it has water and stuff, you know, it will produce for a good six weeks, if not longer. Plus it, you can save the seed. So it's really an overturning thing, which was great during the great depression because it didn't cost any money. It still doesn't to this day. It doesn't cost me any money to grow it because I save the seed every single year. So beans are a fabulous addition. And then you have your dried beans, which are what we call shelly beans. So we grow and shell out our own beans and that's the the bean inside. And again, you know, this is can be used as a vegetable. And then the dried bean is just has so much versatility to it. You can do so much things with it. And I think that was the the beauty of, of a Great Depression pantry is you have items that can be turned into multiple different dishes. And so dried beans are great because you can soak them and you can you can make a chili out of them. You can make a soup out of them. My dad, of course, loves, he loves what they call soup beans. And so that's beans just cooked in water. And then you usually add some bacon or some ham bone to it. Lots of salt, a little bit of onions and garlic. And you cook it till it gets kind of thick. And then, of course, you have to have it with cornbread because soup beans and cornbread oh my goodness, go together like peanut butter and jelly. (laughs) You have to have it. That is still to this day one of his favorite meals. And then you can take like the, for instance, the shell bean out of the Tar Heel bean is like a, it's really similar to a white bean. So I will make bean and ham soup. In fact, it's one of my favorite things to make and the kids love it. And it's super frugal. I mean, making soups, stretching beans is a great way to stretch the budget during the Great Depression, they knew how to stretch a budget and a food budget. And then the beans I actually do, and I will link to the recipe for this. It's one of my most visited, pinned, popular recipes of all time on the blog at melissakanorris.com. And if you go to melissakanorris.com, click on the podcast button, you can go down and catch all of the podcasts. We'll be creating a Great Depression era pantry and food storage. And you could click on that. And then in the resource section, I will link to all of the things that I'm talking to. So if you want to check out, grab the recipes and that kind of a thing, then you'll be able to do that there as well. And then I also do a transcript of the show. So if there's anything that you missed and you want to go back and catch, then you can read that as well. The bean and ham soup recipe is super easy. You can do it on slow cooker or on the back of the stove or cook it on a wood stove. During the Great Depression, a lot of times people didn't have electricity either. So learning to cook on a wood stove was something that they did and we do quite frequently here at home. It's super easy. You take a ham bone, which is great because typically you eat the ham. And then a lot of times you've got the the bone left over from lots of meats. And during the depression, they knew as well that you use that bone, you use it again. I use the ham bone to flavor my bean and ham soup. Then you can also use the bones from your chickens, turkey, you know, and it's great when you cook whole meat. That's another tip from Great Depression era is to cook a whole bird, cook a whole roast, that kind of a thing. You can stretch it further. It's usually a cheaper by the pounds if you don't grow it yourself, which we do. We grow our own chickens. We have our own pigs and our own beef cattle, actually, which they did as well. A lot of the times during the Depression years, they raised their own livestock. It was the way, you know, the way that they survived. And that's what my dad did when they were growing up as well. Then you can use those bones and you can boil them down to make stock and broth, which is very nourishing as well to the body. And so that was a great thing during the depression was to make sure that you had your vitamins and your nutrients as much as possible. And you can also make hummus. I love hummus. I'm getting into fermented foods and I make fermented hummus, which is just fabulous. And so I can use those white beans. Again, I can use those to make hummus and just lots of different things, add it to stretch it to soups, stews, casseroles. 
And then we grow another bean, it's an heirloom bean, and it is just a shelled bean. We don't use it as a green bean. And we call it an October bean. And generally speaking, it's because it's actually due in October. It looks really similar to a cranberry bean. It has a really large bean inside and it's usually white and it has flecks of red on it. And it's it's a really meaty bean. It's fabulous. I use it for chilies. It's kind of like a pinto bean. It just is like three times as large as a pinto bean, basically. It's much larger. And I think it has a little bit better flavor personally, probably because I grew it myself. <laughs> I swear, homegrown always tastes better. And then so I use that obviously in chilies and stews and stuff. And then it's what I also use to make my refried beans. So I can those up. I can them up fresh and I dry some too, but I love to can them up because then it's super quick. I don't have to soak them and cook them for a long time if I haven't planned ahead because I tend to do that every now and then. Be like, oh, I need to cook something for dinner. I didn't take anything out. <laughs> and so that's when I can go to the pantry, grab the canned stuff that I've already put up and it makes a quick dinner that's still homemade and super frugal and cheap. And so I use my canned October beans and I do a refried bean that just literally takes 10 minutes, y'all. It's so fast. And so I have that on there. As I will link to that recipe as well. It's super easy. And you can use any canned beans that you have, or you can cook up fresh beans and do the same thing with them as well. So a, the Great Depression style pantry, I have to say that beans are would are definitely one of the staples. You know, that's what my father, they always had. And sometimes it was the only thing that they had, but it was definitely what they had. And and I have to say, too, when we were we were talking, one of the things he said is, you know, we hope that nothing happens like the Great Depression again. You don't wish that on anybody. But he said, hard time. And I won't forget this, too, either. He, looked at me, he said, hard times bring people together. And I think that's true. And, you know, in a community, when you have hard times, where I live last spring, we had one of the largest mudslides was in Oso in Washington State. You, you might have saw it on the news. And hard times does bring people together. Not that I wish hard times on anybody, but there is a, there's a silver lining to a hard time. And it does bring people together. And, and it's kind of a beautiful thing in midst of the tragedy. Depression style pantry. Of course, we're going to have, like I said, we're going to have beans, dried beans and green beans. And basically, it's going to be whole food items. So it's going to be very basic items that you can turn into a variety of different things without having a ton of ingredients. So next is going to be flour or wheat berries to grind into your own flour. And that's just because you can turn flour into so many things. You can you can use flour to bread meat and fry it up. Obviously, you can use it to for baked goods to do biscuits, tortillas, bread, pancakes, cookies. I mean, there's so much that you can do with flour. You can use flour to thicken and make your gravies and your sauces. So I would definitely say flour is one of the staples, especially of a Great Depression era. Whether if you're doing grain-free or not, then your type of flour is going to change. At my home, we are not gluten-free. We we don't have any gluten sensitivities. And so I do grind my own flour though. And wheat berries are also another great thing. You do need to have a flour grinder to grind your own, but wheat berries store indefinitely. And I'm always thinking of food storage because just like during the Great Depression, you might not be able to get to the store. Maybe the store isn't going to have it. Stores can run out of food, that kind of a thing. And so if you're interested in learning to grind your own flour and storing wheat berries that actually have an entire post, and I will link to that in the show notes at melissakinrust.com on choosing a flour grinder to grind your own flour at home and why and which type of grinder is best for you. You can check that out if you're curious. So I would definitely say that flour is part of a Great Depression era type pantry. And then we're going to have, you know, your really basics, which is also your basics of food storage. 
too. And that's going to be your seasonings. It's going to be your salt seasonings. And because salt can be used for such a variety of things. So you need seasoning. And we actually need salt in our diet. We need our we need minerals to stay healthy. And so salt is something that can be used not only as a seasoning, it can also be used to cure meat. So a depression era kitchen would definitely have salt to season their foods. And it's a, it's a cheap seasoning. And it's also something that most people don't have a natural way of getting salt near where they live. Salt would be something that you would purchase from this store and would be considered a necessity and also as a food storage item as well, because salt, as long as it doesn't get wet, because then it kind of cakes up, it's something that will store pretty much indefinitely as long as it's kept dry. Salt is something that you're going to be having in a real food kitchen and in a Great Depression era. So in a Depression era style kitchen, sugar was something that was rationed. So you had your ration coupons and you were only allowed to get so much sugar per week. My dad never really talked about having a lack of sugar. And one source for sugar that people, if they had hives or somebody who had beehives or that kind of a thing, honey would be something that you would be able to get without it coming from this store. So that would be something that you would stock as well. And though my folks or my dad had, they had chickens. So eggs wasn't a problem, um, except during the winter months, of course, they didn't have electricity. They didn't keep a lamp out in the um, chicken coop. So they might not have had eggs all year long if the hens didn't lay through the winter months. So a lot of times you will hear recipes of cakes that were made without eggs and without butter because butter was another rationed item as well. So my folks had a milk cow though, so they were able to do have their own butter and stuff like that. But one of the recipes that I would love to share with you guys is actually my great-grandmother's chocolate cake recipe. And the cake itself does not use any eggs and it doesn't use any dairy. So it was something that could be made during the Great Depression time when those items were harder to come by. And it's a chocolate cake and it's I make it all the time actually. It's one of my favorite cake recipes. It's a great chocolate cake recipe. So I'm going to link to that and it's my grandma's heavenly chocolate cake recipe. A lot of times during the Depression era, you'll see recipes, they call them wacky cakes or crazy cakes. And that's because for the most part, they didn't have any eggs in them. Um, and a lot of times they didn't have any butter as either because those were items that were hard to come by. But a Depression era kitchen still did have sugar. It just was used more sparingly, which is probably a good thing because we use a lot of sugar these days. And so sugar was one of the things that they did have, but it was a rationed item. So that would be something that you would want to add to the Great Depression era. And then, of course, you want to go and get the cake recipe so that you'll have it so you can try it yourself if you ever low on eggs or don't have the money to purchase them. Your basics, your salt, flour, and sugar, you can turn out a lot of different dishes with that mixture, just adding in some water or milk. And so those are definitely things that you're going to have. You know, there wasn't anything, there wasn't anything processed a depression it was very basic and so people cooked from scratch and they learned how to cook their foods from scratch and they used inexpensive items to do so those were definitely the basics and then you're also going to have to have a fat source in order to do most of this cooking so you're going to need some kind of oil or fat source so these days i totally recommend and and these are the fat sources that we store and use and that is butter so real cream butter but during the depression era butter wasn't something that you always would buy from the store in fact my Folk, you know, they had a milk cow. And so they churned butter. They had a butter churn. They had the milk themselves made sour cream out of it, you know, their milk and their butter and that kind of a thing. And so it wasn't actually something that they bought from the store. But I realized in today's day and age, a lot of people don't have a milk source at home. So you might not have a milk goat. You might not have a cow. 
we don't as at a, the moment, though it's something that we're really looking into and considering, we have beef cattle. And so we're looking at maybe trying to tame down one of our um, mama cows into being a milk cow, or we might purchase a dairy cow. We're kind of um, weighing the options <laughs> right now. But you're going to need your fat source. So butter is one that I highly recommend. And then we do lard. Lard was something that your Great Depression kitchen had. Lard is melted down fat from usually from pigs. Tallow is the melted down fat from beef. And tallow is really good for candle making and soap making. Not so great for baking. Lard is much preferable to baking. And so I actually am getting the fat from our pigs that we're raising right now. And I had fat that I had gotten from the butcher because we didn't do pigs last year. And so I rendered down my own lard. And some that is something that a depression style kitchen definitely would do is to render down your own lard. And I've noticed when cooking with lard, um, it's fantastic in tortillas for frying foods. Oh my goodness, can't beat it. It's a little bit different when I was doing my pie crust using the lard because it tend, the lard is softer when you're working it in than the butter. And so I had to use a little bit more flour and I had to work a lot more quickly because as I was um, mixing the dough, the lard would melt quicker, kind of more like coconut oil. Coconut oil tends, it has a lower melting point than butter. So I had to be quick about using it when I was doing my pie crust so that the pie crust would stay flaky. But the flavor is phenomenal. I had people who didn't know that it had lard in it. You'd be surprised, you guys. A lot of people don't really use lard, which I actually have a post on how to render down your own lard and why you should and why it is healthy. It's not bad for you as we've been led to believe that shortening is like this fabulous thing and took the place of lard in kitchens. Some great marketing went on for that one. We use real fats. I use lard and butter. And then I do have some olive oil and coconut oil. Those are the four things that I use at our house. Would have been used in a depression style kitchen, definitely would have been the lard. And so the lard to keep the pie crust flaky and biscuits and that kind of thing is, is you want it to be really well chilled. And then you need to work with it quickly. You don't want to have your hands on it too long and, and having it melt as you're mixing up the dough instead of when it's baking, because that's what creates the flakiness in food. Those would be the the four my main things is, you know, your flour, salt, sugar, your fat source, which could be lard or butter and beans. I mean, you can really do a lot. Now, is it going to all be tasty? Well, yeah, most of the baked goods are really going to be great from all that. You can do a variety of them, but that's where, you know, your spices come in. You can really flavor up food pretty inexpensively with having spices. I use all different kinds of spices depending upon what we're making. I mix it in the bread to give the bread different flavors and that kind of a thing. And of course, you've got your cinnamon, so you can add that to oatmeal to really flavor it up without having to use as much sugar. And that was another food from the depression that my dad grew up on and always had, and that was oatmeal. To this day, he still has a bowl of oatmeal every single morning. I mean, my mom can make a full-on spread of biscuits and gravy, bacon, eggs, and he still wants his oatmeal, just a little bowl of oatmeal with it. And even if she doesn't cook anything else, he still has oatmeal. So they they go through a lot of oatmeal. (laughs) But oatmeal is another great thing that a, a Great Depression era style would, because oatmeal... Um, it has a lot of fiber in it. You can really flavor it up. It's very inexpensive. It's easy to cook. You can soak the oats. Um, and then also with the dried oats, you can make flour out of them. You can grind it up and make oat flour. And oats a great addition to as a binder um, or to mix stretch things as it's going. You can mix oats into, you know, a lot of different things. You can mix it in when um, you can make cookies out of it, <laughs> real cookies. And then you can also mix oatmeal into, you know, meatloafs and different things like that to help stretch it out. So 
Oats are something that definitely is a great depression style era. Um, and as you're noticing, you know, this is all stuff that has great storage capacity. It has a good storage life. So these are items um, that I also recommend as you doing for food storage. In fact, I have an article and I will link to it and it's called um, Eight Foods You Should Be Storing and How to Do It. And so this is if you're trying to build up your food storage for preparedness. September is National Preparedness Month. And so we've been doing a lot of different preparedness articles and that kind of a thing on listkinors.com. And so that's one of them. In fact, I'm part of 30 Days of Preparedness. It's a group of bloggers and we've all geared together and we have 30 for every day in September, we have 30 days and it each is a post covering different aspects of preparedness. And I will put the link in that. It's also the eight foods you should be storing and how is part of that. So you can click on that and check all of the fabulous posts out from water storage to having you know your car ready and things in your cars to packing bags, dug out bags if you need to leave your home for whatever reason. There's some really just awesome resources and different articles in there that I will provide for you guys. And you can just click on that and the resource notes. So, you know, a lot. So the Great Depression style pantry is just your basics and learning how to cook from the basics, which I think we're all a lot better off cutting out the processed foods and that kind of a thing. And so, you know, we've got our spices, our salt, our sugar, and I order a lot of my spices, actually. I don't know about you guys, but in the store, spices are expensive. The little tiny jars, you know, they can be up to five to six bucks just for a small jar of spices. And so I found Mountain Rose Herbs, actually. They're out of Oregon and they're organic and they have great prices, I think, on their stuff. I'm actually an affiliate with them. So I will provide a link. I get I get a lot of my teas from them. I get all of my, the hopefully I pronounced this right, <laughs> Ceylon cinnamon. Did some, found some research and stuff on cinnamon. So I want to make sure I was getting the Ceylon cinnamon and not the Saigon cinnamon. And so I get my cinnamon, my nutmeg, my ginger. I get onion and garlic powder if I don't have time to do it up myself. I get a lot of my herbal teas from them. I get my cumin, basil, oregano if I haven't dried up enough on my own or I start to run out. Pretty much my whole spice cabinet <laughs> is from Mountain Rose Herbs. And so I will buy it up in bulk and get, you know, a pound or two pounds. You can also get it down as like, I think it goes down to eight. You can get eight ounces, sometimes four ounces on some of the things. I have teas, all kinds of stuff. So I will post the link to them where I get all of my stuff in the show notes and you can check that out as well because I also like to have a lot of spices on hand just because I can do so many things and it's so much more frugal to make up your own spice mixes. That was another thing during the depression is, you know, they didn't buy little prepaid packs of things. You know, they made gravy from scratch. You can make gravy with just some, your fat, melt up your butter or lard, add either, add some flour or you can use cornstarch. And then you add your liquid. And so if you're doing a, a gravy, then you're going to be adding milk. And if you're doing more of a sauce, then you would be adding your broth, which you would make from your, your, your bones that we talked about earlier. So a lot of these things is just learning to cook from scratch. I have a post on how to make your own. And that's what I use in place of I make my own white sauce or I'll use a chicken stock. And I don't buy condensed cream of soups to make things. I make my own sauce. It's really quick. It takes like five minutes, y'all. It's really fast. And that's what I use instead. And that was, you know, your Great Depression style pantry. You didn't buy cans of things. You home canned it at home or you made it from scratch. And so that's really the the pantry that I try to have and that we try to do. And I would recommend you stocking up on those items and having them on hand and making your stuff from scratch. And it does take a little bit more time sometimes, but sometimes I'm all, I have to tell you, sometimes I'm super surprised when you actually time how long it takes to mix it up and make it. A lot of times it doesn't take as long 
as you think it does, or we've had commercials lead us to believe it does, you can really do a lot of it fast. In fact, a lot of times I will do when I'm making up biscuits, I'll do a double batch and I will put half of them in the freezer and then I just cook them from a frozen state on nights that I'm in a hurry. So, and I do the same thing with my pie crust. I make a double batch, toss half of it in the freezer and then bring it out on the day that I need to make it to make it really quick. So I would love to hear your tips on depression era type pantry and food storage, what you do and what you cook with. I hope that you'll share them in the comments or send me an email so that we can do those as well. And so I had a reader question of the week and that was, can you stack your canning jars one on top of the other for storage space? And you know, I in the past, I had stacked a couple canning jars on top of one another. I was running out of space. But you, generally speaking, you don't want to unless you have something that's separating them. Because if you have your canning jars one on top of the other, it can weaken the seals. And then if a jar does lose a seal because you've got that jar, another jar on top of it, then you're not going to see that that seal has come loose and that you need to throw it out. So generally speaking, you shouldn't store your canning jars one on top of the other unless you have something that's separating them and taking the weight off of from the top of the seal from the next jar. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to Pioneering Today. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes and make sure to head over to melissaknorris.com to subscribe for free modern homesteading updates to help you live the simple life.